All right, good morning. Welcome to Seacoast. Good morning. morning. Welcome. Open your Bibles to the book of? Ephesians. There's a nice hint on the screen, if you didn't know that already. The book of Ephesians, we're in chapter 1. We're going to look at chapter 1, verses 7 and following today. But we're talking about your life, your life as a part of the family of God. What does it mean? That's what Ephesians is all about. So we're going to go there again this morning. Welcome. Welcome to Seacoast. Pray with me. Father God, thanks for your word and the chance to engage in it and listen to it and learn from it. Uh, You are the incredible God of grace. And we thank you for that life you've given us in Christ. We pray now that uh, we would worship, Father, uh, just by listening. Not just listening to uh, Dale, but man, don't just listen to Dale. Listen to the word of God, the wisdom of God, by the spirit of God. And would you uh, help build us as your people? as your family, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I grew up as a kid going to visit my grandparents who were farmers, and one of the most uh, exciting things I ever did as a little guy was to go with my uncles to the auction house to buy cattle. And my uncle would basically almost tie my hands down because he'd say, Dale, you can't not even flinch or you will buy a cow. Okay, because have you ever been to a cattle auction? I mean, seriously, these guys kind of sit back like you got all these all these ranchers around in a big arena, and they bring that steer in, and, and the ranchers all they do is just kind of go, and that's all it takes. And the auctioneer goes, I see that, I see that, boom, 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 you know, 100, 200, 300, you know, and that's all they would do. They wouldn't go like, hey, you know, they just kind of go, you know, they just kind of nod. And the auctioneer is trained to catch that, and next thing you know, the price of that cow, that steer, that calf, whatever just goes up and up and up and up. So I personally love a good auction. As I got a little bit older, my wife and I actually got into antiques. Becky ran a little business called Rebecca's Antiques back in Oxford, Ohio. Had a little antique shop, and and we would often go to auctions to buy furniture. My dad was into this. My aunt was into this. So I kind of grew up around antiques and auctions. And it got me thinking about value. And I would often talk to my dad about a certain antique or a certain item, and I'd say, Dad, what do you think that's worth? What do you think that's worth? For example, right in front of me today is a baseball. Do you notice that? There's, it's usually not up here, but this baseball. So what would you pay for this baseball? What do you think this baseball's worth? Anybody want to give me an offer for a baseball? I didn't say that. I said, do you want to give me an offer for a baseball? Okay, so if, you, so if you flip it around, you notice it's got a signature on it, okay? So now it's a signed baseball, so value goes up or down? Up, yeah, yeah. So who wants, how much you want to give me for this baseball? Who's this signed by? That's none of your business, okay, yeah. But who wants to give me, a, you know, do I hear an offer? Do I hear an offer? Dale Burke, is that what you think it's signed? No. So what if I told you this signature was Babe Ruth. I got 200 back here. Do I have more? 300 right here. Do I have four? 400. Do I have five? 500. This is kind of fun, huh? Now, what if the signature of Babe Ruth was written by Dale Burke? Sold. Who who was that? Who had the 500? John Jensen? Okay, here we go. Here we go. Yeah, there you go. There's your ball. Okay. I need that back for the second service, though. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's not signed by Babe Ruth, you could tell. It's not old enough for that. It is signed by a friend of mine named Robin Ventura. 
who, if you're a White Sox fan, he's the current manager of the White Sox. He was an all-star, played for them for a number of years. Uh, played on the Olympic team in 19, I think, 84. Won a gold medal on the Olympic team for the U.S. So for any of those reasons, if you're a White Sox fan, that might be worth a lot. But it all depends on what? How much is that or anything worth? I used to ask my dad that question, and he had the most incredibly simple answer. What is that? Whatever somebody would pay for it. Because sometimes I would think, wow, this item, this antique, this baseball, whatever, it's worth, I think it's worth X, but until it goes to auction, and you see what would someone actually pay for it, you don't really know its value. Value can go up or down, but is determined ultimately by what someone is willing to pay for it. A few years ago, there was a report in a magazine about a celebrity auction, and someone, for example, for a dress, paid $45,000 for a dress. It wasn't even an old dress. It was a dress that had belonged to Princess Di. $45,000. Someone else paid for a bunch of dinosaur bones a few years back, were auctioned off, and uh, these old bones went for how much? Do you know? Eight million dollars. Old bones, old dress, baseball. It doesn't matter. The question of value is ultimately determined by what will someone pay for it. So what if you went to an auction... Just for fun, imagine this. And the auction, the item being auctioned off was you. If you're the one on the auction block, if your freedom was at stake, let's say you were being sold into slavery, as still happens today, What would someone pay for you? Now, if your wife or husband was in the audience, would they be bidding or just smiling? (laughs) That's the question, right? I'm not going to go there. Hopefully, you got a best friend. Hopefully, you got a friend in the audience somewhere, from somewhere that's willing to pay a price for you. And the reason I bring this up today is we're going to look at a passage in which the key word in the passage is you redeemed, redeemed and rich in Christ. We're going to see what that does to speak into the question of your value. Last week we introduced a paradigm for understanding chapter 1 of Ephesians It's captured by this diagram. We'll pop up the diagram by way of review from last week. In fact, I've given it to you in your outline again, right? So use that outline to follow along. You'll actually learn more if you do. Last week we learned that you are incredibly secure, loved and adopted by a Heavenly Father who chose you before the foundation of the world, knowing everything about you, good and evil. He chose you. He loved you by His grace. He chose you. Wow, that's love. 
Everyone needs a sense of security or a sense of love, a sense of belonging, a sense of someone cares about me. I belong to someone or something. I'm a part of something significant. And for us, it's our faith and our family. And it's all rooted in the adoption of the Father. The other thing everyone needs is a sense of significance, a sense of value, a sense of, okay, why do I matter? And do I really matter? What is my value? Today we're going to unlock that question of value, that question of do I matter, and if so, how much? If you're on the auction block, what would someone pay? The reality is it's already happened. Open the Word, let's go, let's go to uh, chapter 1, pick it up in verse 7. He talks first about the love of the Father who adopts us, and then in verse 7 it says this about you. It says, in Him that is in Christ... We have adoption, excuse me, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. Stop right there. What we're going to see in this passage from verses 7 through 10 are not one, not two, not three, but there's actually four different expressions of value to God that you have based in Christ. And not one, not two, actually four. We'll spend most of our time on the first one because I think it's kind of foundational to everything else. What are these four expressions of your real value before God? Here they are, four R words. The number one is redemption. It means that Christ paid the highest price for you. It says in Him you have redemption through His blood, through His sacrifice on the cross. This idea of redemption is a very, very rich word, and it's so rich, I want you to begin to grasp the fullness of it this morning. Because there's not just one word, there's one word in English that's the word redeem or redemption, right? Okay, there's one word in English for that. But in Greek, there's actually not one, not two, but four different terms that are used in the Bible, all translated with the same English word. So for you to understand the depth of what this verse is talking about, let me give you a very quick walk through four different Greek words. I'm not going to give you all the Greek, but let me give these to you. Number one, it's in four different passages. The number one word is this word redeemed or redemption, which means to be set free by paying a debt. To be set free by paying a debt, as in being released from prison, for example. I'll give you some passages. You can... Jump with me around your Bibles if you can. If not, listen, and I'll read them to you. Write the reference down. Uh, you'll look some of these up this week if you do the uh, daily encounters with God, which I really encourage you to do Monday through Friday. Here we go. This one, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, says this. It says in verse 17, If you address as Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during your time of stay on earth, knowing, knowing this, verse 8, that you were not redeemed with precious, with perishable, excuse me, you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers. But you were redeemed with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. What he's talking about is redemption. And this word that's used is the concept of paying a debt to get someone freed, often it was used in reference to prison. One of the common uh, uh, things that happened, uh, for example, on the cross, where Jesus was dying for our sins on the cross, was He cried out, and He cried out a, a word, to uh, which which means it is what? 
finished. It is finished right before he died. Uh, the word could be translated, it is paid in full. It is completed. And it's a word that referred to a debt that's paid in order to get someone out of prison. So when a person was in prison for a crime, uh, they, would ha- they would post their crime beside their prison door and, and, and there would be uh, an amount usually of money that had to be raised and paid or a number of days that they had to spend in jail or a combination of those things. And then when that debt was paid, before they let them out of jail, they would write across that document to Telestai or it is finished. It is paid in full. So that they went away from jail, went away from prison. And if anyone else said, hey, what are you doing out of prison? You must have escaped. He says, no, 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 here's the document to prove I paid my debt. It was paid. So when Jesus died for our sins, that's the word he used. That's the phrase he used. And what he was talking about is this concept of redemption. That our debt is paid in full by Christ and we've been released from the prison of of our sin and our debt that that sin accumulates. So that's the first concept. When you hear redemption... Think of someone paying your debt to get you out of jail. Number two, Acts chapter 20, 28 uses another word. Uses another word, and this is the word that means redeem as in to purchase so as to gain possession of. To purchase, and as you do that, you gain possession of the thing being purchased. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Let me get there. Here we go. Acts 20, 28. For I, for I did not shrink from declaring you the whole purpose of God. Um, be on guard for yourself and for all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers and shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. The word is redeemed. Which he redeemed or purchased with his own blood. Uh, there's places in Scripture where it talks about that Christ died for us on the cross that he might redeem or purchase for himself a people. So the emphasis here is a little different. It's that Christ's death purchased us so that God, we might be the people of God. So we belong to God. He purchased us. So it's the redemption of someone, something that you then go to own. So we belong to God is the emphasis of this redemption. There's a third use of it. And this is the word, I'll give you the Greek word on this one, agorazo. The word agorazo, I give you the word because the agora was the marketplace where people went to buy and sell slaves. So in that culture, it was very common. So agorazo was the place where people went to purchase or buy slaves. So in the emphasis here uh, is, and it's Revelation chapter 5 verse 9, is to purchase or redeem out of slavery that is from the slave market. And that's where it's kind of like if I'm up on the slave block being auctioned off, uh, someone's going to pay a price based on what they think I'm worth and they're going to purchase me. They're going to purchase me. But there's a fourth and final phrase. And by the way, Revelation 5.9 is the passage that says that God has purchased with His blood men from every tribe, every people, every nation. This is talking about the global aspect that God has purchased for himself a people, okay? Out of slavery, setting them free, but not so much just setting them free, but that he might have a people from every 
every part of humanity around the globe. God is building his people. Last but not least, let me just kind of rush through these because I want you to get the big picture. The next word is you take that same word, agorazo, and you add the prefix ex on the front. So it's ex agorazo, which ex means to, to out of. So it means to purchase someone out of the slave market. Now, the emphasis of this word, Galatians 3.13 and following. If you're going to go to Galatians, doo, 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 here we go. I'm going a real quick perusing of these passages. Here we go. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed, purchased us, or redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. In other words, He took our sins on Himself on the cross. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So the idea here is to purchase not only in the slave market, but to purchase out of slavery so as to set free. So in this case, the emphasis is on Christ didn't just purchase me out of prison for my, for my sin by paying my debt, purchase me in order that he might possess for himself a people, purchase me in order that I might be freed from my slavery, but also purchase me so that I might live as a free man. So the image now is that he buys me out of slavery and he gives me my freedom, sets me free, not to just do whatever I want to do, but so that I might now be free to serve Christ. So he doesn't just purchase me to make me like, an, like a slave of Jesus, but now I'm a free man that can choose to serve Jesus. Isn't that cool? Uh, maybe you don't think it is. I think it's cool, okay? And to me, what a great picture of what it means to be redeemed if you look at the whole thing together. So in summary, what are we saying is this. The redemption that we have in Christ is He paid the ultimate price. In His case, He paid the price of His own blood, His own life, His death, in order to, to because we, uh, apart from Christ, are imprisoned by our sin with a debt that we can never pay and we are trapped and imprisoned, and He frees me. He frees me to live now as the man, as the woman that God has created me to be, and to be able to say, you know something, I choose Jesus. I choose to serve Him. I want to be His servant freely. Christ paid the price. So when I ask again, if you are the item on the auction block. How much value, how much value did you have to your Heavenly Father? But there's more. Not only did He redeem us, and I'll move a little more quickly through the next few verses, but I don't know if you noticed, but in Ephesians 1, Listen to these next couple verses because there's actually three more things that Christ does for us that end up increasing my sense of value and self-worth before God and before humanity. Here it is. Pick it back up in the middle of verse 8. The riches of His grace which He lavished on us. And notice the, in, in the phrase, each one of these four begins with the word in Him. In Him. Four times. So what he's saying is, these are not things that I earn. These are not things that are given to me if I attend church 
and, 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 and shape up and act better and live better. And these aren't things that I pray for or that I earn from God. These are all expressions of the grace of God. In Him I have redemption. He pays the ultimate price for my soul. In Him, number two, I have revelation. I have revelation. He reveals the greatest mysteries of life to me. If you want to go up in value, knowledge is incredible, right? We say today we live in a knowledge-driven culture. If you have knowledge, you have greater value in our culture. People will pay more to hire you and, and, and value you, correct? They say knowledge is power, knowledge is money. I mean, if you have the knowledge, if you have that some type of unique knowledge, you go way up in value. Well, listen to the knowledge that he gives us. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, verse 7. And then in verse 8, in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the kind intention which he purposed in Christ, in him, with a view to the administration, how the world's being run, suitable to the fullness of times. That is, it's a reference to human history. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. That's an incredible statement. Now, when I first read it, my reaction to that is, duh. You know what I mean? This is one of those sentences in the Bible that when you first read it, you kind of go, what? wow, I mean, what's that about? What's that about? Wisdom, knowledge, in the fullness of times, uh, you know, everything's wrapped up in Christ, in heaven and on earth. And, you know, it, to me, it almost makes no sense until you break it down and recognize what he's saying is this. God sets us free to serve him, but he does it also by giving us incredible wisdom, insight into the mysteries of his will. In other words, what he's saying is this God, this Christ, when you come to him and through the scriptures, we're given answers to questions like, what in the world is God up to? Where is human history headed? What is the destiny of planet Earth? What's really going to happen? Um, can God forgive me? And how can you have a relationship with God? How has God designed us as men and women? What is the essence of real life? In fact, throughout the rest of Ephesians, we're going to study not only the basis of a relationship with God, that's, pretty, that's a cool mystery, right? To understand the mystery of who God is, how He thinks, and how a person who is sinful can actually be forgiven and have a relationship with God. That is the ultimate mystery. But on top of that, there's all kinds of other mysteries. We're going to unpack what life should be looking like. What is the essence of love? We're going to find that in Scripture. We're going to see that. What is the essence of this relationship between men and women? And how are men and women different? How do men and women love each other uniquely in light of the fact that God has wired men a little differently than women? Have you noticed that? Yeah. I've noticed that. Well, guess what? When we come to Ephesians 5, we're going to actually see some incredible insights into the mystery of what makes men and women tick and how to have a great relationship. We're going to learn the mystery of how to raise healthy children. We're going to learn the mystery of how to go to work, and even if you work for a bad boss, how to bring purpose and meaning into the workplace. We're going to learn the mystery of spiritual warfare because we're going to learn that we live in a world and a universe where there are spiritual things and spiritual beings that you cannot see with the naked eye. And that there is actually warfare going on in the heavens that affect your life on the earth. I don't want to freak you out, but that is what we're going to study. That's what chapter 6 of Ephesians is going to teach us. And we're going to learn how you can actually 
successfully live in a world in which there are spiritual influences beyond your power and control. Now, that's a pretty cool package. And that's all just in the book of Ephesians. We've got the whole Bible given to us as a revelation of the mysteries of God. So understand this. Man, if value is knowledge, then knowing the mysteries of the universe and the mysteries of God is the greatest, it's the greatest value that you could ever have. So how valuable are you to God? How valuable are you to other people? Number one, you're so valuable that God redeemed you with Christ and His blood on the cross. You're so valuable that God has entrusted to us the mysteries of God. Incredible revelation. Third thing, not only do you have great revelation, he goes on to say, and in Him, there it is again, in Christ, and in Him, uh, verse 11, and in Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will. Verse 11. What's that talking about? In Christ we have an inheritance. And we're going to go into this more in future weeks. So I'm going to give you the real short version on this one. But it's basically saying this. Christ has secured your eternal inheritance. He has blessed you with all these blessings in the heavenly places for life now and through eternity. To help you out with this one, I actually gave you a little insert today. If you open your bulletins, pull this thing out right now. I don't want you to lose it. I want you to pull it out. And throughout the week, I would encourage you to just slowly, maybe make it a discipline for the next few weeks to read through these verses. Maybe begin to memorize some of them. They're short. But this is a summary of other passages in Scripture that line up with these three big themes of Ephesians 1. That in Christ you have security, in Christ you have significance, and in Christ you have competence through the power of His Spirit. So these three things are, are further explained uh, by a bunch of great verses, a, gr- a bunch of great concepts in Scripture. So I kind of had it run off. Our office was kind enough to run them off for you. It's our gift to you. Tuck it in your Bible. Use it as a bookmark for this series maybe and continue to dwell on this. This teaches the truth about you. You begin to wonder, am I securely loved? Am I of any significance? And do I have the ability to do and be what God wants me to do and be? Then just meditate on these verses. But for right now, do what I'm doing and tuck it in the back of your Bible so you don't get distracted by it. But that's what I mean by the riches that we have in Christ. Everything on that card would fall into that category. Last but not least, last but not least, There's a fourth R, and it's buried in verse 12. When he says, not only do I have these riches in Christ, an inheritance, Ephesians 1.12 says, to the end, means to the purpose, to the ultimate purpose, to the end, that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. It's the same phrase as last week. Last week he said, you're adopted by the Father, loved into the family of God, so that you might be to the praise of the glory of His grace. Now he says, you're redeemed by the Son, given incredible revelation, given a reason to live, and incredible riches, and the ultimate reason to live is this, to the praise of the glory of His grace. You may ask the question, okay, Dale, so why? That's a good question. Why did God do this? I think sometimes we get tempted as men and women to think, well, God did this because of His love for me. 
Well, yes, He loved you, but that's not the ultimate reason He did it. God has given us this incredible redemption, revelation, and riches that we might live out to the glory of God our purpose. That we have a new purpose in life. That now when I get out of bed, I go to work, I make money, I have a job, I have a family, I have relationships. There's a central purpose that unites all of that and that is that every one of those arenas of my life, God wants to use me to actually put Him on display. That people would notice something different and have a chance to learn that that difference is Jesus Christ. That difference is what He has done in giving you life. And that you have a part to play in what God wants to do in working out His great plan for humanity. You have purpose that you've never had before. So give me my baseball back. Can I get my baseball back? Whoa, the light's kind of blinded me. Not bad for an old guy. So how much value? If this were you, where do you find your value? Your value is found in Jesus. Your, found, your value is found in the fact that He purchased you. He didn't just purchase you out of prison and out of the slave market, but He purchased you and then He gave you your freedom that as a follower of Jesus, you're now set free by the power of His Spirit and His work to, to live for His glory, to live for His purposes. Because you have redemption, you have an incredible revelation beyond anything humanity could ever figure out on their own. You have redemption, revelation, you have riches in Christ, illustrated on that card that I pointed out, and you have redemption, revelation, riches, and now you have a reason for all of it. So when we talk about going deep, this is what we mean at Seacoast, is that you go deeper in understanding the wealth that you have in Christ and your reason for being on planet Earth. I want to say that one of the things I really appreciate about Ryan is a great curriculum he put together called Rooted. And uh, for the last few years, we've been offering this three or four times a year. And whether you are new to Seacoast or whether you've been going to Seacoast for 20 years, if you want to go through about a 10-week process of really getting rooted or grounded in your faith and the family of God and your purpose in life, I really encourage you to go through Rooted. There's actually openings in it right now. You can stay at 1045, go up to the community room, and uh, they've got room for you to just show up today or next week. I just encourage you to do it um, because I found it to be incredibly helpful at getting people grounded in the depth of what it means to be in Christ and then to be connected to the family of God. So let me just give you that as an action step. In conclusion, let me um, share with you a story that hopefully pulls all this together for you. It did for me when I stumbled onto the story. It's a true story, at least it was told to me that way, of a boy and a man and a little bird. In fact, it was a common sparrow. This man lived in the inner city. I think it was Chicago, but I'm not sure with the details. 
but the story goes like this. The man was walking down the street one day and he ran across a, a, a young boy, probably 12, 13 years old. And this kid had lived on the streets. He was tough. He had a painful life. He knew how to take pain because he had learned to do that. He knew how to give it out and cause it as well. And in this case, the man looked and the boy was carrying an old rusty bird cage, a cage that at one point in its life probably held a, a bird of great value to somebody and hung in their living room and perhaps it had a parakeet or a parrot or something. But now this bird cage, as he got closer to this boy, he noticed the boy had a stick and he was poking at a bird that he had in the cage and laughing as he saw the bird just kind of try to fly around in the cage to avoid being hit by the stick. And, and he found out that this bird was simply a common everyday sparrow, the kind of birds you always find in the city just eating the scraps off of the streets in the alleys where this boy lived. Here's how the story goes. The man writes this, When I approached the boy that day, I stopped and watched as the boy ran an old... Uh, with, his, with an old battered bird cage, once the home of someone's pet, now just the tarnished cage prison of a common sparrow. The boy laughed as he poked his stick in the bars at the cage uh, of the cage at the bird, chuckling as it flew from corner to corner and avoided the stick. I asked the boy to stop. I thought it was improper. He continued and just blew me off and said, you know, as if I wasn't even there. And I asked him, son, why do you do that? And the boy said, well, it's my bird. I can do what I want. The man said, well, how much did you pay for that bird? The boy said, nothing. I caught it. My bird, my cage, my business. The man thought for a minute. He said, you want to sell it? The boy said, no way. It's too much fun. And it ain't worth anything anyhow. So the man took out his wallet, pulled out a crisp $100 bill, and said, how about $100 for the bird in the cage? The boy said, 100 bucks? You are a fool. And he snatched the bill, dropped the cage, and ran off. The bird huddled in the corner, fearful of its new owner, as the new owner untwisted the piece of scrap wire that served as a lock on the broken door of the cage. He swung the door open, and the bird, after some coaxing, flew free. The old man smiled as he pitched the cage into a dumpster. 2,000 years ago, God looked down on a cage called Planet Earth. Once beautiful, now a place where sin and Satan enslaves its inhabitants, using and abusing them for his own depraved purposes. God said, how much to set them free? Satan's response, they're not for sale. All the riches in the world are not enough. Besides, why do you want creatures that don't even love and trust you? How much? Your only son 
sinless, on a cross. That's the price. And God sent his son into the world that you might be redeemed, set free, given life. That's the kind of God that we are called to follow. Amen? Pray with me. Father God, thank you for the life you've given us in Christ. Thank you for the redemption, the revelation, the riches. And the reason to live that uh, is all rooted not in what we do, but what you did. We love you. Father, thank you that you placed way more value on us than any of us would place on ourselves. And thank you that you paid whatever price you had to pay. So, Father, we just sit for a second before we sing to just reflect on that incredible gift. And as we often say here, if you've never trusted this Redeemer, this God, then I would encourage you today to just make this the morning that you say, Lord Jesus, thank you. I never realized all that you did for me, but I thank you for it this morning. I put my trust in what you did on the cross, and I ask you to come into my life and Set me free, but set me free so that I might serve you. That I might be part of this family of God that you are building. And that I might live this week with purpose in every part of my life. In Christ's name, we worship. Amen.